RC Top 3, a weekly podcast of the top three stories from Regnum Christi. Lessons from the Workshop of St. Joseph by Father Daniel Brandenburg, L.C. Part 12, Immigrant in Egypt, continued. The experiences of the Holy Family in Egypt, shrouded as they are in mystery, private revelations, and pious legends, provide three important lessons for families to this day. One, the role of insecurity to achieve deeper love. Two, the building of new life. And three, the treatment of outsiders. Let's unpack each in its turn. Insecurity and bonding. The Holy Family is thrown into a precarious situation in Egypt. Not only are they fleeing a murderous tyrant, but Joseph and Mary still hardly know each other. Remember that they are newly married, just a few months earlier, and now they are separated from family, friends, and social networks that would normally provide outlets and support for newlyweds to forge deeper bonds. As refugees seeking asylum in a foreign country, they spend extensive time together, and no doubt they were weeks and months of growing attachment. Despite the insecurity of their surroundings and prospects, they are finding progressively greater security in one another and in their mutual love for God. They learn each other's favorite foods, what makes the other laugh or smile, and their love languages. As they bond, the surrounding hostility heightens, and they face the challenges as a united front. Psychologists notice a strange paradox. Stress and pain can make people bond more tightly together. Author Stephen Ambrose noted this in his now-classic book, Band of Brothers, about American paratroopers in frontline action during World War II. Others have found the same dynamic in settings of all sorts. Difficulties can cement the deepest bonds. On the flip side, we all know that stress can also ruin relationships and erect walls between persons. What differentiates the positive bonding from breakdowns? How did the Holy Family come together during their tumultuous time in Egypt rather than fall apart? Two hints to the answer can be found in human experience. During times of famine, war, invasion, disease, plague, or natural disaster, individualism and selfishness lead to isolation and death. Only by banding together do groups survive adversity. Every civilization retains aphorisms that capture how it takes a village to raise a child, or how, if you want to go fast, go alone, if you want to go far, go together, or, united we stand, divided we fall. The saying, It's all I and team simply doesn't exist because we rise or fall together and no individual can take on the world alone. I've been fascinated by the TV series Alone, where 10 survival expert contestants are left in the wild to see who survives the longest before tapping out. Even these specialists rarely last more than a month, primarily due to the psychological pressures of being alone. There is a reason why solitary confinement is a severe punishment. The first clue, then, to growing stronger through adversity is turning to aid each other rather than striking out solo. The second is similar. Accentuating differences, fostering isolated identities, and stoking envy by comparison between dissimilar people usually leads to envy and disintegration. This is true whether the highlighted differences are ethnic origin, sex, religion, wealth, educational attainment, or some other distinguishing trait. Experts on mergers and acquisitions between companies know that they will be successful in marrying two companies 
only if they achieve cultural integration, shared common ground, and a unified mission. If segments of the company insist on their way, a prior identity, or distinct goals, the company falls apart. That is a key reason why most mergers and acquisitions fail. Marriages and families are similar. Unless a common purpose is found, they fall apart. If parents were to focus on the injustice of their children not doing their chores and contributing to family income, or expect strict equality in all family transactions, relationships would quickly degenerate. Families cannot function in a paradigm of equality, just as societies cannot. A deeper bond of love and service is required to overcome human tendencies to selfishness and short-sightedness. From these two factors, being for others and embraced in equality, adverse and stressful situations can become a catalyst for deepening mutual ties. On the flip side, when persons isolate or incite envy and division during adversity, rifts deepen and ties are broken, resulting in alienation and disintegration. These two diverging paths in the face of difficulty emphasize the critical role of a third factor in families, foundation. Whenever I prepare couples for marriage, I take them through a simple geometry lesson. What is the weakest geometric figure? Most aren't sure, but occasionally someone will guess the right answer. A line, because it only has two points. Bright mind. And what is the strongest figure? The engineers will quickly respond, a triangle. At that point, I remind them that their love for each other, as beautiful as it is, is just two reference points, and if they want their relationship to last, they need the power of the triangle, the power of the trinity. A relationship rooted in God, in the power of the life-giving relationship of the three divine persons, is the only relationship that will last. Joseph and Mary, more than any couple ever, had this one in spades. Their experience of bonding through difficulties reminds couples today that you don't have to have everything in order. House bought, debts paid, education finished, life plan set, to start a family. You just need selfless love, embrace of mutual complementarity, and God at the center of your relationship. With those elements, we'd see fewer divorces and happier marriages. Praying the Rosary Through the Gaze of Christ by Holly Gustafson My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Psalm 27, verses 8 and 9 This was a passage that spoke to me out of the dryness I was experiencing at one spiritual exercises years ago. I had been struggling all weekend to connect with Christ, to no avail. Nothing seemed to be working. And as the end of the retreat drew nearer and nearer, I felt like I had wasted my time, not received any lights, and not succeeded in making the most of this silent retreat experience that only comes around for me once a year. On hearing this line from the Psalms in the darkness of the chapel in the middle of the night, I closed my eyes and raised my face to God, allowing His gaze to simply fall on me. I left the retreat the next day with no resolutions, no answers to the questions I was discerning, nothing tangible to show for my weekend away, other than the utter transformation of having experienced the gaze of Christ, of having allowed myself to be truly seen. This must be what St. John Vianney was referring to when he told this story. When I first came to ours, there was a man who never passed the church without going in. In the morning on his way to work, 
and in the evening on his way home. He left his spade and pickaxe in the porch, and he spent a long time in adoration before the Blessed Sacrament. Oh, how I love to see that! I asked him once what he said to our Lord during the long visits he made to him. Do you know what he told me? Eh, hey, Monsieur le Curé, I say nothing to him. I look at him, and he looks at me. Since that middle-of-the-night moment in the chapel when Christ invited me to gaze at him and to receive his loving gaze in return, I've tried to return to that simple yet powerful form of meditation described by the humble, holy man in St. John Vianney's account. I look at him, and he looks at me. A way to do this in a very concrete way is by praying the rosary through the gaze of Christ. As I pray each decade, I contemplate Christ in each mystery and imagine myself receiving his or his dear mother's loving gaze. This is sweet and lovely when I get to look into the eyes of the newborn Christ child swaddled in his mother's arms, but not quite so fun when I have to gaze into his eyes as he is scourged or as he dies. But it's always a powerful way to experience the mysteries of the rosary, particularly when I am seeking connection with Christ and longing to be seen. Pope Francis names Legionary of Christ as President of the Government of Vatican City State. On September 7, 2021, the press office of the Holy See announced the appointment of Monsignor Fernando Verges Alzaga, L.C., as President of the Pontifical Commission of the Vatican City State and President of the Government of Vatican City State. Monsignor Fernando Verges has already been serving as Secretary General of the Government since August of 2013. On November 15th of the same year, Pope Francis ordained him a bishop in St. Peter's Basilica. Born in Salamanca, Spain, on March 1, 1945, Monsignor Verges was ordained a priest of the Legionaries of Christ on November 26, 1969. He began his service to the Holy See on August 1, 1972, in what was then the Congregation for Religious and Secular Institutes, where he was later the personal secretary of the prefect, Cardinal Eduardo Pironio. In 1984, Pope St. John Paul II named Cardinal Pironio as Prefect of the Pontifical Council for the Laity, and Father Fernando Verges continued working in the service of the Cardinal in that dicastery. In June of 2004, he was appointed as the head of the Holy See's Department of the Internet, a role that he fulfilled until 2008, when he was named head of the Directorate of Telecommunications and Information Systems of the Vatican City State. On August 30, 2013, Pope Francis named him Secretary-General of the Government, and on September 8, 2021, he received the assignment of President. Monsignor Fernando Verges has served the Holy See for nearly 50 years through five pontificates. He accepted this new appointment by making his own the words he spoke in his first Mass as Bishop on November 16, 2013. It comforts me to know that it is God who calls, God who sends. His love is at the beginning of all things. On receiving the news of his appointment, Father John Connor, L.C., General Director of the Legionaries of Christ, said, Monsignor Verges has worn himself out with generous self-giving in the service of the Church throughout all these years. Accepting this new responsibility is another example of his availability, which fills us with joy. For more resources, visit www.regnumchristi.org or download the Regnum Christi English app today.